Hi everyone, and welcome to Philosophy Rekindled with our focus book, the 1920 published version of Tertium Organum by P.D. Spensky. Today we are discussing Chapter 20. This is Part 2. You will find the audio version of this chapter as an additional audio to this podcast, and you'll also find additional information on our website, philosophyrekindled.com. Today my guest is Peter Lancet, hypnotherapist, author and classic scholar. And I'm Alice Flanagan, fiction author, computer programmer and podcaster. Thanks so much for joining us and welcome Pete. All right, Pete. Well, it was a rollicking good discussion last time and uh, I'm wearing my lavender now so that I can really (laughs) relax for the rest of this chapter. And uh, uh, welcome to the next part of Chapter 20. I don't think we had a discussion. I thought we had shouting. I thought we I thought we just had and shouting. Shouting and ranting. But we also we also pulled that chapter, the first part, into a million pieces mm. and it was under the microscope stuff, which was brilliant. And I, I learned a lot myself. Well so so did I while I was going through it. Uh the fun the funny thing about that was that because it's for many people, me included, it's one of those complex chapters that I think it needed that kind of uh, dissection. Uh, It it needed, you know, almost like microscopically to the point where virtually every word was, hang on, how does that relate? Um, What does that mean in the context of what we're seeing? Um, I think it needed it. I felt it needed it so that I could understand it better. That's the only way I can explain it. No, no, it was great. And, uh, you know, my, my thoughts last week were, wow, it's a tough crowd. But this week I'm thinking, well, thank, thank for, thankfully it was a tough crowd because, you know, it's, it's pulled out some really interesting stuff. Mm. And, uh, Spensky's, he's nailing it. He's nailing it in chapter 20. And, uh, I think, wait, uh, wait with, with, without, <laughs> without, uh, pulling out all the, all the nitty gritty, uh, it could be missed easily, very yeah. easily missed. Um, we've got more to come, obviously. And, I'm looking forward. To, I'm looking forward to that. Yes, let's get on with this uh, chapter twenty now, then. Okay, so move us on, move us onwards and upwards. Okay, so where we left off was we just finished basically logic one hundred uh, one, and Aspensky's concept was you know everything is either A or not A. It's either if you're holding up a pen, everything is either this pen or it's not this pen. That sort of a concept, and uh, so. We sort of covered that last time, so I want to move on from there. So take it away, Pete. Something that he comes on to a couple of paragraphs down is he says, there are many things which in their substance are outside of logic altogether. And he, and he, and he says what they yes. are. Feelings, emotions, religion. Interesting that he puts that there. All art is just one entire illogicality. And as we shall presently see, mathematics... The most, the most exact of sciences is entirely illogical. Are you listening, woo-wooers? And that, that is exactly right. How do you explain feelings in terms of A is A and A is not A? And These things are so subjective that it's impossible to quantify them. You cannot put a quantifiable statement or, or symbolic representation to them. Your sad isn't my sad. You might feel, and you no. might feel something that you call sadness, and you feel it. You can actually go into yourself, and you can say, "Oh, yeah, well, I feel that in my chest. I, I feel a tightness in my chest." And I'm saying, "Well, I'm feeling sad, and it's there in 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 the pit of my stomach." 
you know, we can't even get to that kind of agreement. It is totally subjective. And he even goes further to say, even if we put into our logical system uh, a concept that's described by a word, we could say, okay, well, that's logical. It's either uh, it's a house or it's not a house. You can do that. Um, but he says that even if you put a different tone on the word, it can mean something else. And I've, you know, from my example, I'd go, if you, if you said something, I could go, yeah, right. Meaning that's correct. Or you could say the same thing. I go, yeah, right. Which means it's not correct. So it's the same, even our language, our words can't be put into, as soon as you put something emotional around them, like a tone, they lose their um, foundation in logic because they suddenly, the same words can mean Two opposite things. That's exactly the truth. So we're we're, we're in a bit of trouble there because everything is um, subject to subjectivity. Yes, yeah. And he says, uh, so if we compare the axioms of logic um, to the axioms of mathematics, as we commonly know them, we find that that they are very similar. Mm. So he's he's got the A is A, a is not not yeah. A. Everything is either A or not not yeah. A. So that's logic. And then he says the fundamental axioms of mathematics, every magnitude is equal to itself, the part is less than the whole, and two magnitudes equal separately to a third are equal to each okay, other. Okay, right. I mean, let me explain that um, for anybody that's listening because that that sounds awkward when you, you know if we just say this if you were reading it you would have time to think but this is a podcast so we do need to explain that every magnitude is equal to itself um a magnitude is a measure and we usually express that numerically certainly mathematically um let's use our arithmetic as a branch of it so the number 2 is always equal to the number 2 2 is a magnitude we can say we have we have two oranges, we have two apples. It's a magnitude. It is a measure. Magnitude means measure. And so every magnitude is equal to itself. 36.237 is equal to 36.237. You, you can do that. You can express this in as many ways as you want. Every magnitude is equal to itself. The part is less than the whole. I have a 10-foot pole. If I cut one foot off it, I have a pole that's one foot long and a pole that's nine foot long. The one foot pole is not equal to the ten foot pole. However, conceptually, they're both poles. See where we're going? Mm -hmm. Two magnitudes equal separately to a third are equal to each other. Okay, you ready for this? Four plus two is equal to six. Three plus three is equal to six. Therefore, four plus two is equal to Three plus three. Yep. They're both equal to that third part, which is the six. But one of them is expressed as four plus two. Another one is expressed as three plus three. Therefore, because they're both equal to six, they must be equal to each other. Four plus two is equal to three point three plus three. Get it? Yeah. So, so that's what's meant by that. So here's where Spence is going with that. He says that, okay, so you can see the the similarity in those two axioms, one of logic and one of mathematics. He says, so if there's a similarity between the two, then it, it makes sense to, to extrapolate that to say that those similarities indicate that um, both of these came from a similar origin and that origin is a study of the phenomenal world. 
So they're both rooted in the phenomenal world and do not extend further. That's right. That's right. So the laws of mathematics and the laws of logic, these are laws of the reflection of the phenomenal world in our consciousness. And I like the fact that he's, he said that because it's it's our consciousness that's actually interpreting the phenomenal world. So whatever our consciousness is reflecting, that's what that's what we're seeing. It's not actually a, a indication of what's really there. It's just how I, we are I don't have that at all. Uh, interpreting it. Nothing about oh, nothing you? about consciousness because I don't even think that comes into it here. It says the laws of mathematics and logic are the laws of the reflection of the phenomenal world in our receptivity and in our reasoning faculty. Uh, oh well, he's just using receptivity and reasoning in, in, instead of consciousness. He's just yeah, but consciousness. But he's right word. to do that. Consciousness is this airy fairy thing that is so subjective. Oh, yeah, Whereas reasoning know. faculty and so on, we are talking about reason and reasoning here. This is. Yes. So I, I think it's better. Um, no, I agree with you. And we, I mean, we've been through this ad nauseum, and he cle- he clearly doesn't like the use of consciousness uh, because otherwise he wouldn't have changed it. He he understands that. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent with yeah. you. But any anyway, yeah. that it's it's okay because I only bring it up because um, when I'm going through my version of the book, as when you're like you know quote, doing quotes, I sometimes think I haven't got any of this, and then I real I have to realise that what he's put in to change it yeah 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 because now now since he's done those edits and we've discussed mm. it through when i read consciousness i i think no it's yeah actually... I'm, I'm thinking th- I'm, i always have to step in though because i'm thinking of it from the point of view of anyone listening we need to be as consistent as Uspensky has that, that's the only reason that i step in no no thank you for that so <laughs> so I have a, a section now that has capital letters and italics, and I'm going to read mm, it. it. So he's he's talking about that the axioms of logic deal with co- – this is not the italics, the, the uh, bold part. He's talking about the, uh, the axioms of logic dealing with concepts and the axioms of mathematics also deal with finite and constant magnitudes only. So then he says, these axioms are untrue in relation to infinite – and variable magnitudes, just as axioms of logic, are untrue in relation to emotions, to symbols, to the musicality, and the hidden meaning of words. And he's got hidden meaning of words in italics. because he's an occultist. That's why that's in italics. Well, he's done loads. He's talked about the abyss. He's talked about, you know, um, you know, he's done this all the way through the book. He's thrown little flashes in there. It's the meaning of words and the interpretation. I've said to you, even with regard to this chapter, that some parts are designed to be, as much as anybody, you or anybody else, would love this to be a universal book that everybody can get everything out of. There are parts of this book that are aimed at a very specific, and I mean very specific audience, and it isn't the general public. And that's where he puts those in. And, and it ha- but you know something that that is a great thing to do because you know people like me who are reading this book or i have got some sort of um oh my god i never thought of that before kind of mm. realizations from it so maybe i haven't got the whole lot but it has triggered that, some and that's fantastic when it does yeah so it's worth putting it in even if even if you read it and missed it you may May not miss it. No, exactly. Well, look, your your unconscious mind can easily be triggered by the hidden meaning. 
Mm. Milton Erickson, he's, he's like the greatest hypno, hypnotherapist in the history of the world that we know. Milton Erickson used metaphor and analogy. And if you listen to, and there are still a few from when he was an old git uh, of him doing therapy sessions. You can find them on YouTube. And you sit there and you think, what's the bastard talking about? What the bloody hell is this? And then the person walks out um, completely free of whatever the hell the problem was that they walked in with. Because the unconscious mind understood the meaning of the metaphors, analogies, and the wordings and the way, and you know, there's more to it than this, but the, he, the, he understood that. Whereas you sitting as an observer outside think, what the bloody hell is he doing? What's all this? So the subconscious mind has not got the illusion of the conscious mind with well, all it's the... Well, it's not limited by any stretch of the imagination and it makes linkages that the conscious mind can't and doesn't. So Spensky goes on, what does this mean? and then explains. It means that the axioms of logic and of mathematics are deduced by us from the observation of phenomena, i.e. of the phenomenal world, and represent in themselves a certain conditional incorrectness in italics, which is necessary for the knowledge of the unreal world. Which is put subjective as well, the unreal subjective world in mind. Okay, all right, yes. So, in other words... We've we've set this structure up so we can we can make sense of a three dimensional world, but it doesn't make it real. That's right. If you were sent to prison, you would have to find a structure of living that allowed you to survive in that horrific prison context. If you were sent, have a look at something called Life Is Beautiful. It's an Oscar winning movie, and where and it's a true story about an Italian uh, Jew and his very young son who were sent to concentration camps, and he created a completely alternate reality every single day of their experience in a concentration camp so that that child would think that they were playing a game. It was all a great game and wouldn't be frightened. We have You have to create a subjective reality. Now, humanity does this on a gigantic scale in order to make this unreality of, of, of the limitation of three dimensions workable. And that's what Ispensky is saying. Yeah, and that, well, that... That makes a load of sense to me, and I think you know the way he explains it uh, in in that sentence kind of really sums it up what it, what he's been saying because he's now moving to well okay so what about mathematics because that is his bag he is a mathematician so if he believes that mathematics is unreal why is he writing a book like this and and he explains he says as has been said before. We have in reality two mathematics. One, the mathematics of finite and constant numbers, this is the first type of mathematics, represents an, a quite artificial construction for the solution of problems based on conditional data. Now, I think what he means by conditional data is only the axioms that we've already explained uh, for mathematics are, are the applicable axioms to the data that, that we're looking at. So it's only data based on the phenomenal world. I just love it. You, you, you just like threw his, his word axioms back as though that was explaining it. That's like saying X is X because it's X. Oh, come on. No, <laughs> his, axioms are, his axioms are what he's building this foundation on, and that's conditional, conditional of a always two always being two. Yeah, it's, condi- it's conditional. He, he actually says it. Um, 
the the t of the universe only now he's using an algebraic term here he's using the small letter t because he's saying that's a section of reality and so basically mathematics is conditional on us only applying it to a specific section of the wider the wider reality and that's what it's conditional upon we that's all i wanted to get to is conditional upon what when he's saying it's conditional magnitude a mathematician would understand that straight away but a lot of people would would wonder what does he mean by con, you know conditional conditional data what, what, what does he even mean by that but that's what he means it's conditional on applying it to a very specific area and if you if you apply it outside of that specific area then it won't work which is what he's saying but he's using he's using the language of a mathematician and i think it's because he's quite excited about this bit and he's like reverted to his natural language but i i i want us not to skip over that because a lot of people would also skip over it if we didn't mention it that's all yeah, no, fair, fair play, because I, I am one of those people who probably would have skipped What's over. What's an axiom? An axiom, an axiom is a uh, a truth, a uh, a way of. Um, well, how can I say it? It's it's. <laughs> I'm putting you on. I'm really <laughs> holding your feet to the fire, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. You've been a bastard today. No, listen. <laughs> if you hadn't started me off with the with the woo woo story before we started the recording, I was all right. I was in a good space. You got me riled up. I got you. It got you all riled up. An axiom, a statement or proposition which is regarded as being established, accepted, and self evidently true. Well, I kind of figure I said that quite well, but yeah, it's it a is. truth. <laughs> but but the important part about that is is regarded as which doesn't make it a truth it means that people accept it but that doesn't make it a truth you know we're talking about logic here there is absolutely no logic in saying that it's a truth when it when all that the word actually means is that it's something that people accept to be the truth it's axiomatic for most people that there are black holes but that doesn't mean that there are and it doesn't mean that black holes are true very true And, and in fact uh as any mathematician will tell you, there is no proof that the black hole is axiomatically a truth. Well, in fact, we could say that the axiom is just, uh, we'll all agree on this and take it from there. We don't understand it, but we'll all agree yeah, that's on what it, this that's, foundation and, and we'll build it from there. And that's what he's saying, isn't it? That, that we live in this world, most of us live in this world, taking for granted that that is the truth. And that we call everything else woo-woo. I'm not letting it go. <laughs> Yeah, you're not I'm not. Go. I'm just. Anyway, so 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 what he's saying is that mathematics of finite and constant magnitudes of this artificial construct is basically only, as you said, only explaining a section, an artificial universe, and in that that artificial universe is what we are describing as uh, the phenomena, phenomena the, of this the phenomena. world. So beyond that, the Phenomena. He's giving me a hard time, Pete. Really giving me a hard time. <laughs> Beyond phenomena, <laughs> you're loving <I> it. <laughs> it's like, and you know, I can't come and take my revenge because you're ten thousand million miles away. <laughs> I, can never, I can never get on a plane and come over because of the bloody COVID. I know. Because other than that, it is a finite magnitude, isn't it? The distance between the, the physical distance between that. us is a finite magnitude. So you could you could actually you know theoretically trans you know transfer yourself across that somehow. Well, it kind of 
reminds me of that little little um, joke that said uh, someone said to his mate, "Well, how how many days is it between um, New Year and Christmas?" He says, "Oh, three hundred and sixty. He says, "On oh, how many days is it between Christmas and New Year?" And he says, "Well, you know, obviously same. that's the same." And he goes, "No, it's not. <laughs> it's it's only seven. <laughs> Depends on which way you're going, isn't it? Anyway, because you're only describing a section of the line." And it depends on That's well, right. the section of the, the line of the circle, yeah. Yeah, if you're looking at this section backwards and forwards, it's 360. Yeah, if you go, clock, if you're if you're going, go clockwise, it's 360, if you, you know, or 358 or whatever it is. And if you go clockwise, clockwise yeah. It's a, yeah, I mean, whichever way you're going, it's brilliant. I like that one. Well, there you go. Uh, so, all right, so well, we've got to this, this point where he's basically saying that the mathematics – is not explaining the real world because it's only explaining the artificial section of the world that we we call our universe. I like how he calls it, though. He does say that it's dealing with an imaginary world with imaginary magnitudes. That's how he's describing this, this first mathematics. Yeah. Great, because he doesn't pull any punches there, and this is why I don't. Why would you? There's a, mm. there's the truth. We're... The, the mathematics that all the woo-wooers believe and pin everything of their existence upon is dealing with an imaginary world and the magnitudes of their beautiful science is imaginary. It's fake. And it, yeah. it, it was, it had to be invented to make sense of an imaginary world. We're, we're now in Alice in Wonderland territory. Why do I use Alice in Wonderland? I'll tell you why because the writer of Alice in Wonderland was one of the greatest mathematical logicians in recent history. goes by the name of Lewis Carroll, but that's not his real name. He wrote a book which I, I feel had more meaning than just the well, story. The, that, that's actually a logic textbook. If you read Alice in Wonderland rather than watch the Disney version, if you read it, Alice is presented constantly by logic problems and paradoxes. Mm, she is actually, yes. Anyway. And that's his, yeah. Very it is, isn't it? All right. It is. It is. Okay. So that's the first mathematics. It's imaginary. It's looking at an imaginary world, explaining it with imaginary numbers. Mm-hmm. He said the second is related to the world of noumena, which represents itself in itself, the world as it is. So he's saying that the second type of mathematics, which we are yet to reveal, expresses the real world. And he's saying that the first mathematics only exists in our imagination. In our, it's, it's only our own construct. So what is this second mathematics? And he, he gives it a name. It's transfinite numbers. So he says transfinite numbers, so-called, may serve as an example of real mathematics, violating the fundamental axioms of our mathematics and logic. And he further explains what transfinite numbers are, and he said they are numbers that go beyond infinity. So obviously they're not finite. Okay, before we can move on, we have to explain to everybody that in the book, Spensky uses that universal symbol for infinity, the number eight on its side is the, the best way of describing it. For anybody that doesn't know what the infinity symbol is, it's that. So if we have to refer yeah. to it, then if we refer to infinity, imagine that symbol. Yeah. He then goes on to explain what he's talking about. So he said, 
As an example, it is possible to raise infinity to the power of infinity. So that will be the infinity symbol and to the power of the infinity symbol. To the power means times by itself. itself. So that's infinity times infinity. Yeah, that's great. Um, how is that represented? If, if I wanted to say, so that you would know what this looks like on the printed page, if mm -hmm. I said two to the power of two, you would look at the number two and above it, you know, and to the right is a much smaller number two. If I said two to the power of three, i.e. two cubed, it would be the number two with a much smaller number three above it and to its right. Everybody will have seen a number represented like that. So when we say to the power of, we're saying, we, I want you to imagine that. So infinity to the power of infinity is the infinity symbol with another smaller infinity symbol above and to the right of that symbol so that people can imagine what it looks like because on the printed page that's what we are seeing and to to describe what he's saying we have to have people have to have the image that we see that's all uh, it's it's yep. it's worth it's worth no, that doing makes that, sense yeah. and just to further explain that if you have two to the power two like two squared that is two times two but if you had two to the power three, i.e. two cubed, that's two times two times yeah. two. Which is four times two, which is eight. Stop making it difficult. So, no, so, so that people understand how it works. Well, hang on, let me just finish this though, because I'm saying two times two times two, so there are three lots of two multiplied by each other. So infinity to the power of infinity is infinity times infinity infinite number of times. Yeah, but you could still have, and we have to understand this, you could have infinity to the power of infinity to the power of infinity, and so on to infinity, which he quite clearly, which he quite clearly talks about. You'd have to have a new symbol, yeah. you'd have to have a new symbolic reasoning though. You could also have infinity squared and infinity cubed and, in, and yeah, infinity to the power of any number of numbers up to infinity. So you can use all the symbolics of the first mathematics on the second mathematics. You can you can perform all those functions that you can in the but first mathematics. But you won't get you won't get sensible results from the point of view of the first mathematics. Exactly. So so what he's saying is, even though infinity to the power of infinity is whatever number that is, which is some infinite number, it is also he says it's infinity. That's the whole point. That's the point, yes. So even though you're raising, you're, you're, you're performing the function where in first mathematics that would be infinity times itself, infinite number of times to, to create a new number, in fact, that number is always infinity in the second mathematics. Yep. You can do whatever operations you like with infinity as a foundation and you can come up with different results, but they all mean the same. They all equal the same in the end. Okay, let's talk, let's talk about what he's really getting at. Um, he's saying that in the finite world, in the world of finite numbers, you make a change to any number and it, it can no longer equal itself. So for example, I have the number four and I make a change to it by dividing it by two. It's suddenly changed to a two. It no longer equals four. In the transfinite world, that's not the case. I can divide infinity by two, and it's still infinity. 
I can multiply infinity by two. It's still infinity. I can do anything with infinity. And if infinity is in the equation, we have, we have infinity as the answer. Yeah. And that's exactly his point. And he says that, that this violates the fundamental laws of mathematics, except for finite numbers. After the change, the finite number cannot be equal to itself. But here we, ne- we see how changing the transfinite number remains equal to itself. After all, transfinite numbers are entirely real. And then he continues on with some, some pretty good examples. But I like the, I like the one he, says, he, he expresses about a line. He says if we take a line of infinite points and a square with infinite lines, the points will be infinity times infinity. Which is? But at the same time, equal to yeah. infinity. We're just saying the same thing in different ways, but it's still the same same point. Point defined mathematically is something that has location but not dimension, which is why there's an infinite number of points on any given line. There are the same number of mathematical points on a one-inch line as there are in a, a line a mile long because it has no magnitude. A point has no magnitude. And the definition of a point mathematically is that it has location, but not dimension. And if points make up a line, and then you have a square that consists of infinite number of, um, well, it consists of lines. Well, how many points are in a square? The, the number of points on one side of the square multiplied by the number of points on, an, on a, a line at a right angle to that line in the square. So it's infinity times infinity equals infinity. So there's an infinite number of yeah. points in the square. If we then, if we then went into a three dimension, three dimensions, how many squares are in the cube? An infinite number of squares where, where the lines of the square are defined, defined by points. So we would have an infinite number of points in the cube. And all the mathematics that explains those things in our phenomenal world. Well, that wouldn't make any sense to us because we'd never be able to build a house. No. <laughs> I live at, at number infinity on that line. Yeah. Which is also, <laughs> which, which is also a cube. Yeah. Oddly enough, I do too. I live at number infinity. <laughs> yes. So, you know, that, so this is where we are in the new mathematics, in the second mathematics. We, we can describe um, change, but change always comes around to equaling infinity. So we can have experience in the noumenal world, but it's always an infinite. It's always an infinite an experience that, in the terms of this world, can only be described as infinity. Remember, even when we're using that symbol for infinity, we are, we are plonking a three-dimensional a way of describing something that's indescribable in the third dimension. Yeah, so if we if we take all his examples and ha- just have a look at how they compare to the axioms of the first mathematics, say the first one, um, two magnitudes equal separately to a third or equal to each other, mm-hmm. take that as an example. If we look at A being um, infinity squared and B being infinity cubed, a equals B. Because if, if infinity is in any side of any equation, then the answer is always infinity. Yep, yep. So if A equals infinity squared plus B, which equals infinity cubed, so infinity squared plus infinity cubed, 
equals infinity. That's the one. Perfect. All right. So so we're moving we're moving fast into the world of real numbers. So Bensky is saying that we may also say that the fundamental axioms of our mathematics are valid for constant magnitudes only. And he, he then goes on to say, or in other words, they demand unity of time and unity of acting agents. Well, mine says unity of time and unity of place. That makes more sense. Because then we don't have to define it. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, because I took acting agents as, as being the, uh, you know, the, the um, functions that we're doing have to be also existing let me, in let that Let me make plane. that really clear for anybody that wants to have that clarified. It's quite simple. There's an elastic band in its relaxed state. It's two inches long. I take both ends of the elastic band and in one second, in other words, a period of time, I stretch it to twice its length. That elastic band has changed now and it doesn't equal the magnitude that it had before because in a different time, it has, it has been elongated. It's still an elastic band, conceptual, and in fact, it's still the same elastic band. But m describing it mathematically, it's changed. It's no longer what it was. It was only the it's only mm. the original elastic band in that moment in time and in that place. Once I stretch it, it no longer occupies the same place. It's extended itself in space. So it's not occupying the same place and it's taken a second to stretch it. So it's in a different point of time as well. So we can't say that that elastic band mathematically is the same as it was when it was in its relaxed state before I stretched it. That's what this means. Yeah, that makes sense. It will only be equal to itself at any given moment in any given place. Whereas infinity is equal to itself no matter what we do to it. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's exactly what he's saying. So that so this is the comparison that you see. This is this is what what explains the difference between the two mathematics. Hmm. Okay. And constant magnitudes only. The first mathematics applies to constant magnitudes only. Constant means that they are the same, unchanging. Elastic band untouched in the same place. Even if we change the point of time, even if we come back an hour later, so long as nobody's touched it, it will still be one inch long or whatever I said, and, and it will occupy the same locations. It will be equal to itself. If we come back and find somebody stretched it and put a pin in it, it's no longer occupying the same place. And when we measure it, it will have a different magnitude. So, Pete, I'm going to leave it there and uh, we'll come back to more of Chapter 20 next podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today and, and, uh, and putting your insight into the discussion. It's always good fun. You know, I love it. Um, no spoilers for me today. I am not going to say a word about what's coming up next and, you know, just tune in. Yeah, it, absolutely. Well, thanks again and thanks everyone for listening. Yep, thanks everyone. Bye.